if anybody's out there listening, they're like, how do you develop the skills to become a successful quitter, let's say? And a huge tool is following your intuition, which requires listening to and paying attention to your intuition. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. Thank you for being here. As always, one of the joys of doing this podcast is that I get to sit down with so many different types of people from all different industries, but still find common threads of inspiration and encouragement amongst them, which is why... I love the shift from last week's episode with Super Bowl champion, 10-year NFL veteran fullback Heath Evans, who talked a lot about grinding toward his goals, to this week's conversation with Lynn Marie Morsky, who tells us why sometimes quitting is actually what we need to do in order to win. Now, before you get crazy and start objecting, I think I need to clarify that she means quitting one thing is necessary in order to free yourself up to pursue another goal. As a physician, attorney, speaker, author, and lifelong quitter, Lynn Marie Morsky founded Quitting by Design, wrote a book about it, and is now on a mission to help people carve out a successful life through strategic quitting. At first blush, this might sound like an odd pairing for a podcast about perseverance, but the truth is that it wasn't until I quit playing Division I lacrosse at Boston College that I was able to discover acting, which became my life's passion and my career. We talk about how quitting can help reveal your life's purpose, how to maximize the benefits and minimize the challenges associated with major life changes, the number of ways in which quitting can lead to more success than you've ever had, why quitting has been stigmatized the benefits of confronting your fears of being labeled a failure if you decide to quit something and how to prepare yourself for a successful quit, whether from a job, a relationship, or something else entirely. But let's just hear it directly from our esteemed guest, Lynn Marie Morsky. Why don't you kind of lead us a little bit like how you got to be a quitting evangelist. What was it like? Where did you grow up? What were you into as a kid? You know, what led you this way? I wish I knew exactly what part of my DNA it is where the quitting gene is encoded. But I, I mean, I grew up in Southern Illinois, about 20 minutes outside of St. Louis. So very small kind of farm town, but near a biggish city. And I had very supportive parents who I think they both believed in my intelligence enough to make to let me make all of my decisions, regardless of how kind of out there they seemed. And so my first quit that I remember, just this is a mini quit, but you were talking about lacrosse. I started softball because all the cool kids were playing softball and I really wanted to be one of them. 
And the first day I get smacked in the shoulder with a ball hard. And I assumed that like everybody would come running and the ambulance would be on its way. And like, instead I hear like, way to stop the ball. And I thought, oh, this is totally not for me. And I quit that day and I walked out and I was like, okay, we're doing gymnastics. And it took one day. And I think some people would say like, oh, you know, their parents might've said like, no, you need to stick with this. And my parents are like, not for you. Okay. On to the next thing. And they never questioned me. And I'm so glad there's no part of me that thinks like I would have been a better person if I would have stuck with softball. I love gymnastics. And like you were talking about with lacrosse, you can't do everything. There are a finite amount of hours in the day. So had I stuck with softball, I would have completely missed out on gymnastics, which was integral to my to my upbringing and to being able to do like I later did capoeira which is a martial art that has a lot of acrobatics in it and it gymnastics helped me a lot more than softball would have and um yeah I think just from an early age my parents saying like you seem to know best I mean we'll give you some guidance but if something isn't working for you they never made me stick with a thing okay but let me just interject here because I think people hear that and they and they go like my first response honestly I'm like well yeah but you gotta sometimes you gotta power through something if you went to gymnastics, I'm sure in how long did you do gymnastics for? Five, six years, I think. Okay. So I'm sure you went through some times there where you're like, oh, this is rough. This is not going well. And you persevered, you plowed through it. Uh, so just so people listening don't go like, oh, well, anytime it gets a little bit like uncomfortable, I'm out. You know, that's not what we're saying. I don't think that's what you're saying. No, there, what I like to talk about is the difference between quitting and giving up. And quitting is when you realize that something is just not in line with your passion, your purpose, your values. And it took just being smacked in the shoulder to realize my value is self-preservation and not getting hit in the shoulder. And their value is sports above your safety. You know, we would rather that person not score and you be like knocked out than you have physical integrity and we lost the game. And that's when I was like, this sport is out of line with my values. And for sure, like gymnastics, we know there are probably things that today I would have thought were slightly out of line with my values. Like, okay, you know, maybe this kind of emphasis on diet or this and that, but I wasn't in a gymnastics place that was like that. They never did anything that was out of line with what I believed was for my greater good. And so, yeah, there were plenty of times where gymnastics was difficult, but I never gave up. And I don't believe I gave up on softball. I realized instantly that it was just not right for me. And and maybe that's part of my superpower is knowing when things are out of line versus when things are just getting hard. And that's part of what I like to tell other people. If you are quitting training a marathon because you just like, oh, I'm laying in bed and I don't want to get up and train for this marathon. And that's just your head talking to you and just kind of, let's call it laziness for lack of a better term, that's giving up. But if you're training for a marathon and it's taking its toll on your work and your relationships because you've had to do nothing but run and you can't go out with your friends or your family and you're starting to have stress fractures and these other things are starting to go. And then you start to really get anxious about, am I going to get my run in today? Maybe then you quit training for a marathon, but that's a strategic quit. That's very different from giving up. Yeah. So that's what I've developed over my life. I don't think I give up a lot. I quit when I realize something isn't for me, but it may not take me a long time to make that realization. Right. And yeah, that's where I interpret what you're saying. And I'm just, as you're talking, I'm thinking of, there are so many things, so many instances where I did what you're talking about. And usually it seems like it's the ego part that's worried about, oh, it's a bad look if I stop doing this activity. And what I guess, as I'm sifting through a couple of these decisions I've made, it's always when I know 
I'm making the right choice for me, then I no longer care if it's going to look like, oh, he looks like he, he wussed out on that and he just can't hack it. And, and But if I know on the inside why I'm doing something, I'm usually able to, to pivot, you know, and not worry about that. Um, yeah, that's huge. And that's what I pass along to a lot of people who are stuck in that phase of quitting. Like, oh, I'm really worried about what other people are going to think. And, and I point out those other people have never been you. They've never been in your shoes. They have no idea what you're going through. Secondly, in today's distraction-filled society, how long are they really going to think about it, period? Say they think about it at all and they think about it negatively because a lot of times when you quit a thing, people are actually proud of you and think it's a courageous move. So they might think nothing. They might think positively. And so, okay, if they do end up thinking negatively, uh, how long before they just keep swiping on Instagram, right? Like they're <laughs> yeah. going to think about it for such a short period of time, whereas you have to live it 24-7. You know, if it's a marriage that is ruining your life and you're like, what are people going to think if I get divorced? Those people think about it for 30 seconds. You're living it 24-7. If it's stressing you, it's taking years off your life, not theirs. Yeah, yeah. I love what you're saying because I, I do think even today in particular because of social media and everything, which has, uh, you know, I, I've kind of talked on this podcast uh, about the benefits of social media that I never, I was always like, what? It is all, you know, so surface and everything. And now I've kind of seen these real benefits, but one of the potential pitfalls of it is, yeah, people spend a lot of time these days thinking about what other people, how other people are perceiving them and not enough time of how do they see themselves in the mirror, you know? Exactly. Um, so we, we talked about, I just, didn't even realize I used the word pivoting. And I saw in a piece of your speech or somewhere in, in researching you, you talk about how that term pivoting is used in the startup world, but it's, it's, it's almost like a better, it's a more accepted term. If you say I'm pivoting, than if you say I quit this and I go to that. So how have you helped to, or how do you help when you're working with people to, to reduce the, the stigmatism of, uh, of quitting, like, like, it, cause it does have a negative connotation. It does. And so there are many techniques and things that I point out, like for one, I just do what you talked about is I say, if you're more comfortable calling it pivoting or evolving or transforming, you can use any of those words. The reason that I call it quitting is because the, in the self-help world, we, you hear so much of like the go live your best life, but there's not a lot of emphasis put on telling you how to leave whatever life isn't your best or leave whatever and, or quit whatever isn't working for you. And so that's what I specifically I focus on because a whole lot of people, for a whole lot of people, that's their pain point. And that's where they get stuck. Like, man, I want to go on to this, you know, say if it's a marriage, I would love to find a spouse that treats me better, but uh, how do I leave this marriage? And so just to continuously tell people, live your best life without giving them the tools to leave the other one is not really fair. And so I point out, look how many people, you know, if they're stuck on the quitters never win, winners never quit, look how many people who have quit things, even very publicly, are people we definitely consider winners. If they're into sports, I'll point out Michael Jordan. How many times did he quit and unquit? And he's arguably one of the biggest winners, you know, quote unquote, of in basketball of our time. Yeah. Same thing with, you know, Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or all the people who quit Harvard and who are now like extreme gurus in the tech industry. Like there's not the, what that quitters never win. What it means to say is give her uppers never win is essentially what they're saying. 
but they use the word quitters and that forever has just made it, okay, now I can't quit. No, 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 you can. If you just want to call it evolving, whatever it takes for us to destigmatize it, I will go down that path with you. But the point is you got to stop whatever isn't working and start a new thing. And what are some of those tools? Let's say someone is listening and they're going, oh, this is really speaking to me and I'm in a relationship and I know it's not good for me. Um, I know that like, cause I saw you talk about something like, you, you know, you can kind of put these band-aids on, but if you're in a toxic environment, you know, at work, it's just not lining up with you or you're in a relationship, you know, the person is not right for you. What are some of those tools that someone could use or begin to kind of extricate themselves from whatever situation they're in? The strategic quitting process, as I describe it, has five steps. And the first one is realizing that there's something that needs to go. So if you've gotten to that point where you're like, okay, my job, there's something in my job that needs to go, or there's something in my relationship that needs to go. Something here is toxic. Step two is figuring out exactly what it is. Does your entire relationship need to go? Or are you and your spouse or you and your significant other only fighting when you're in a car and one of the two of you is driving? At that point, you don't need a divorce. You need an Uber driver, right? <laughs> like you don't have to make big quits. You can make little quits. Or in your job, is it like, okay, my entire job is driving me crazy. I don't like the work. I don't like the people. I don't like the boss. Or is it just, I don't like my commute. So it's taking hours out of my day and I'm tired of sitting in traffic. You only want to quit what you have to quit. Quitting isn't easy. And don't quit more than you need to. So the second step is identifying where the friction point is so that you can go on to the next step, which is identifying and overcoming any fears that you have related to that quit. So if we, like you said, you were talking about leaving a relationship, what's keeping you from leaving it fear-wise? Is it the fear of what other people think? Is it this sunk cost fallacy, which is like, oh, I've spent so many years with this person, which there is no second part to that sentence because there, it's a fallacy and nothing actually justifies staying in that situation. Um, or is it like, okay, the fear of the unknown, will I find another person? Because at that point, you can't overcome fears you haven't identified. So you've got to identify them. And then I help people through because there's there are way to, ways to deal with each of those different fears. And then step four is preparing the logistics. If you are leaving something where you are financially entwined, like a marriage or a job, then you need to prepare your finances and your health and your relationships for that quit. And then the fifth step is enacting the quit in a way that preserves relationships as best as possible and burns the fewest bridges. Yeah. Oh, it's it's um, it's really cool that you've broken it down, you, this specifically because it's it's something that, um, like I said, just in talking to you, I I start to sift through, and realize that, um, you know maybe a lot of those things were done. I didn't necessarily pl realize them consciously what I was doing, but they those steps all apply to every situation. And, and one thing that keeps coming up as I'm talking to you for some reason, so I'm going to bring it up. There's uh, somebody in our town was telling us about this book called The Gift of Failure. And uh, they were saying, oh, it's great for kids. Like your kid, you, you know, your kid's like, instead of hounding your kid and going, do your homework, do your homework, you're like, okay, don't do your work and see what happens. And you give them the gift of failure because in today's day and age, it's like no kid is allowed to fail. No kid is allowed, you know, and, and I'm thinking of, uh, I don't know why that keeps popping into my head as you're, as you're speaking, but it, it is like this, um, in a way the quit is, is, a you know, a perceived 
failure. It's just that I guess it's um, a self-generated failure, in quotes, right? Yeah, I think of it more as a... a, a, a um, presumptive, presumptive is not the word I'm looking for, but I'm missing the word right off the top of my head, but it, it can keep you from failing because if you are in a job that you do not like, then you are probably not performing at the top of the, you know, the employee pool. If somebody is going to go and you're not performing great, that person may be you. So you can either wait to to have it written on paper that you have failed here, you are fired, or you can take the proactive. That's the word I was looking for. You can take the proactive approach and realize, oh, I am failing at this thing. I can let somebody else call me a failure and fire me, or I can take the proactive empowered stance of, hey, this isn't working for me. I know there's something better out there that will work for me where I will be a star employee. Let me make this transition before the transition and the decision is made for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's take it back then you went, I'm just, cause I want to get to like how you came to this oh, because yeah. it's, because it's so kind of official and I understand it, but I, I'm interested now. I'm curious as to you, you, you know, you did gymnastics. So I don't know what age did that bring you up till like early mm, teens? Four, 14. 14. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then did you go to college at, or did you play any other sports after gymnastics or was that kind of it for sports? I am a dancer. I've been dancing since I was seven. And so I, in high school, I was on the dance team and that's why gymnastics had to go because the dance team was pretty full time. Gotcha. And, 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 and then, then I, did you go to college or no, or no college? I did. Oh no. I, Oh, cause you're a doctor. Yeah, I'm just degrees, trying to Alan. walk through the thing and then I'm like, Oh, uh, <laughs> Hey idiot. You actually research. <laughs> I know. I was like, Where did how you did you do a lot of research <laughs> and none at all? <laughs> she's the first doctor. This is what's interesting about Lynn Marie. She's the first doctor who did not go to college. So yeah, exactly. Uh, she quit college and decided to go college. to med school. <laughs> nothing, nothing shady about that at all. So, so what was kind of the what was kind of the path though? Like, how did you? How did it all go down? You know? Yeah. So college was my first set of major quits in the, in the period between, well, when I graduated from high school at 17 and from when I stopped grad school at age 21, I had gone to college thinking I was going to be a broadcast journalist. That was my jam. And I realized in the first semester that I was not cut out for that because, and again, here it is the difference between giving up and quitting. I, we watched broadcast news, the movie, and it showed how like you had to stick a microphone in people's faces. And I was like, Oh, I clearly just wanted to be the anchor. I never realized that it required this on the way up. And I am not a microphone sticker in people's faces person. That is not part of my values. I was so uncomfortable looking at those people. Like they just lost a loved one. And like, there's a mic in their face. And I was like, Oh, this is totally out of line with my values. I'm not going to do this. And so my first semester, I switched majors four times, which for like kind of a high achieving person who like always has a plan would seem pretty dramatic. But like, I am physically allergic to things that are that out of line with me. So like, I was so anxious thinking about having to stick a mic in somebody's face that it was really easy to walk to the counselor and be like, nope, I'm going to do a video editing major, which I went to. And then I ended up settling on media communications. I wanted to be a video editor. I wanted to be behind the scenes editing music videos. This was my dream. Though I lived in St. Louis, Missouri, where outside of maybe Nelly, I'm not sure anybody had ever edited a music (laughs) video there. But, you know, like I wasn't that grounded in reality. I was somehow going to make it happen. 
But I got and I finished college and I got out and I ended up working in multimedia because I had internship at a, I had an internship at a video editing place. They needed a multimedia designer. I did that. I wasn't great at it. So I got into grad school for multimedia and I get about halfway through grad school. And that's one year in. And I had that same realization like I was just talking about. They hired somebody over me who was younger than me. And I was, that was because I was not great at it. Like, I never wanted to be a multimedia designer. It had kind of fallen into my lap. And it went from like, oh, you can make cute pictures in Photoshop to like, you need to know Java and C++. And again, I wasn't a coding person. And I knew like, oh, I do not want to sit and code. This is out of line with my values. And I see the writing on the wall like... I'm getting paid next to nothing. They just hired somebody over me. I need to make a decision. I need to quit this and I need to kind of start over because I realized video editing was not a big thing in St. Louis. And so I, I went back to the drawing board and I put every possible degree and job like on a piece of paper. Like, do I want to be a dog catcher, a florist? And I came up with, um, because at the time I was swing dancing competitively and my partner was a doctor and one thing led to another and it filled the boxes. Like at this point, my brother and I realized like we need jobs that have like a stable future and maybe one that will let us leave St. Louis. And we had all these things and doctor filled those. There's lots of job security and mobility. And so I went and I, but I was like, I'm not going to make, I'm going to try not to go on like this, this long story here, but <laughs> the short, the short long of it is that I decided after going through all the different types of medicine, I'm like, I'm not going to go to med school and not know what I want to do because I've already, quote unquote, made one mistake, essentially like picked one career that didn't work. Right. I'm going to know. I'm not getting into med school without knowing. And what I should have noticed at the time, because this will come up later in a story that I will pause and let you talk in between, but <laughs> <laughs> is that um, I didn't want to do anything in medicine aside from sports medicine. That was essentially the one part of medicine that sounded quasi tolerable to me. And like that should have been kind of a red flag that maybe medicine is not for me because sports medicine is like most of what you're doing is giving people ice and rest, like not super medical thing to be doing. But regardless, I shadowed somebody and who in sports medicine, it looked doable. And I somehow miraculously got into medical school because that's very hard. And then I went through a decade of pre, I had to start over. I didn't even have any pre-med classes. So from quitting grad school, another oh quit. Oh my God. I had to do pre-med, med school residency and fellowship. And so that took a decade and a quarter million dollars to get to sports medicine. But I'm going to pause here for questions and we'll get back to the no, rest of the no, quitting no, no. story. Well, one thing I just, you don't, <laughs> we don't have to pause long. I just wanted to say okay. to people to think about, you said, I put it all down on paper and I said, what, you know, what is this, this and this? And I think sometimes people think, because I've had this, I've had people say this to me, they're like, oh, you're so lucky you knew what you wanted to do at an early age. First of all, it didn't feel early. It felt it was the end of college. And and I was hit by something. I like I, I felt like in my situation, I was called to something, but there was a huge amount of searching and going, what do I want to do? What do I, I mean, I really was, was kind of I don't know if I put it on paper. I think I did. I think I wrote about it, but I also talked about it. Like, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And you don't just like all of a sudden come to a place where you know what you're going to do without putting any thought into it. Most people. So I like that you mentioned that, but go on with, with the story. I want to hear. And and that's super crucial later in the story, because like you said, you're, you're not given a handbook at age 15, 16, 17. Like this is what you're going to like doing for the rest of your life. 
right? You haven't tried out anything. You have no idea. So you can either get that calling or you can do what a lot of people are doing now, which is kind of the trial and error. And that's where quitting comes in. It's like, okay, I tried this thing. I liked parts of it. I didn't like parts of it. Let's write down the good and bad parts so that we can now have a record of, all right, when I look for the next thing, let's focus on the parts that I liked and make sure it doesn't have the parts I don't so that we can make a more educated decision. But anyway, in my own journey. I get all the way to sports medicine. This is like the holy grail. I have worked a decade to get there. And it occurs to me very early into my sports medicine fellowship, which is a year long, that this is totally wrong for me. Like everything about it, I couldn't believe I hadn't seen kind of the signs beforehand. Like I want to work to live. I don't lot I do not live to work. And yet in sports medicine you had to work all day long at a clinic and then stand at a football practice all night long. And then it's Saturday you'd stand at the football game all night and Sunday you'd have the post game clinic and it's like, oh my God, there was zero free time. And it also occurred to me somewhere in there, I don't actually like sports. Like <laughs> I was because I thought like, oh small problem, right? Like I because I thought, okay, I can make sports medicine work for dance medicine. Like I said, I was a lifelong dancer. I will become I didn't the fact that I didn't know any actual dance dance medicine doctors who were full-time doing that, again, like editing, video editing (laughs) in St. Louis, Missouri, didn't pay attention to that. So when I get there, I'm like at University of Arizona, uh, you know, like a D1 Pac-10 school that should have been everybody's dream job to work on the sidelines of, and I was miserable. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've done it again. Like, I have picked another thing. How how old are you? Early 30s? I I am early 30s. Yeah, I think I was like 31, 32 at this point. Okay, cool. And... So I finished out the fellowship, but I did tell my director, like, this isn't for me. We're going to, you know, so they, they started being nice and they would like give dream situations to other people, like traveling with the team or whatever. And I had to do this thing where I just mentioned is I was like, okay, what part of this can I use in the future? Because I now have this really expensive medical degree and all this training. I have to be able to make it do something, but I'm never going to do the following again. And so I made a no list. I mean, it was mental, but it could have been, it could have been written down because I knew it so well. Like I'm never going to work nights and weekends. Um, if I'm working all day long, like I'm never going to work days and nights and weekends. I'm never going to have a pager. Like I, we were working for the Diamondbacks and the Diamondbacks would page me with these non-emergencies all the time and make them into emergencies. And it was driving me crazy. No pagers, no high maintenance trainers or high maintenance athletes. And I was also moonlighting in urgent care. And I saw the opioid crisis coming because people were coming right before it would close and demanding pain medication for tooth pain because we're not dentists. We couldn't fix the tooth pain. All we could do is write prescriptions. And I said, I'm also never writing prescriptions again. And I made this list of things I never wanted. And I stuck to it. I literally just kept moonlighting until I found a job on Twitter, by the way, that had only the things that were left on my yes list What was that, that I job? could deal with. Um, it was for the federal government. I work for the VA 10 hours a week doing these exams in compensation and pension. So when vets get out, they get an exam that tells uh, the compensation and pension department what they got from the service, and then they get money for it. So I'm not writing prescriptions. I make my own schedule. There's no call. There's no continuity of care. There's no nights and weekends. It's exactly what was on the list of like what was left that I would want to do. Right. But you're only working 10 hours a week at that point. For that job. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you're still kind of looking for what's next. Yes. Okay. Exactly. At which point I go to law school. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not only the only doctor without college, I'm also the only lawyer who never went to college. <laughs> 
great. Um, great. So because I was working 10 hours a week, I had this time. And so, and this is where when, if anybody's out there listening, they're like, how do you develop the skills to become a successful quitter? Let's say, and a huge tool is following your intuition, which requires listening to and paying attention to your intuition. And I had moved to San Diego and uh, in the interim between Arizona and now I'd moved to San Diego right next to a law school that they were building. And every time I would look at that law school, I would get insanely jealous of the people who got to go there. And finally, I was like, why am I jealous? Why don't I just go there? Like, and I knew why I wanted to, like I had tutored people on how to take the LSAT multiple times because I just knew that I loved how law worked. And I thought, man, those people get to take the LSAT. They get to like do law exams, like, which is super nerdy, but that's what I was feeling. And I thought like, okay, I'm going to try to get into this school. And if I can get a full scholarship, because clearly I'm already a quarter million in debt, then I'll go. And so I went to law school thinking like, maybe that will help me figure out what's next. Wow. And you went on a full ride. You got a full, you got I a, did. holy I did. cow. Okay. So just a little disclaimer to everybody. She's super smart. <laughs> She's smarter than me. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, I mean, I can't run the Santos campaign, so, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. So, the, so, 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 you go through law school. Do you, do you did you practice law? Did you ever practice law? Not traditionally. Uh-huh. So, out of law school, I was um, hired or signed on as co-founder in-house legal counsel and chief medical officer of a startup. But there wasn't a lot of practicing law there. I mean, I would review a contract or two. And after a year with that startup, I quit that startup and not because it got hard, but because my health was suffering. I mean, working still 10 hours a week down in San Diego, living in Venice Beach up in LA, commuting between the two, because that's where the startup was, was taking it out of me in every way. I was anxious. I had insomnia. Every time that like my phone would go off and it was related to the startup, my stomach would sink. Like every sign in the book that says like, you should get out of here. And again, this is where my values came in because I really, really believed in the project. But when it got to a point where I didn't necessarily believe in how we were running things or how things were being conducted, then my body started again, like the allergic symptoms all pop up, like, no, this is wrong for you. And that was a very hard quit because other people were involved. Generally, my quits only involve me, but you know, I was co-founder, but I had to do what I had to do because again, a lot of people see this and they might think, oh, it's selfish of you to quit. It is selfish of you not to quit. If you are in a position where people are depending on you being at your best. And if you're coming with half of your best or a quarter of your best thinking like, oh, I've got to do it for this other person. No, no, no. They deserve somebody at their best in that job. That's the same thing in a marriage. Like, oh, I don't want to leave this person. They deserve a person who wants to be there. Like it's, it's what, you know, it's turnaround, a mental turnaround you, you need to make in these situations because often you're staying around and avoiding a quit is not doing anybody any favors, really. I love so that. I, it is selfish uh, of you not to quit. Sorry, go on. Thank you. No. Um, and so I, after that, I started teaching law. So that's as much as I've ever really done with a law degree is I taught law for a bit because again, you know, I wasn't born with a handbook. And so I kept thinking, maybe this is, maybe this is it, right? Mm-hmm. I just kept trying different things. And I did not... teaching law was wrong for me in two reasons. One, I was teaching something I had never practiced. So I had imposter syndrome out the wazoo. And imposter syndrome usually is like something you can quell, but not if you're an actual imposter. Like really, I did not know what I was doing. I know you actually are an imposter. (laughs) Yeah, I was a total fraud. They'd be like, what happens if this gets sued? And I'm thinking, I've never been in a courtroom, so I'm not really sure. All they were just like, so I would just try to tell them interesting doctor stories, you know, but that, that was not right for me. And then somewhere in there, I was a Bernie Sanders delegate. And um, 
had my 15 seconds of infamy when I was crying on the DNC and they put it on the daily show and all these other things. And so like after coming back from the, the, the democratic national convention, I had this like political momentum from, from this notoriety and I was still teaching law and I'm still working 10 hours at the VA. And finally I hear this podcast that has Seth, Seth Rogen, that's comical, Seth Godin on Tim Ferriss, totally different outcome. (laughs) And, and they're talking about finding your calling. And I'm thinking, gosh, at this point I'm like 38, I believe. And I like, I just, I've tried so many things and it's not about being good at them or not being good at them. It's, I want to find something where I want to, where I'm excited to wake up in the morning and go. And it's, Seth had recommended, ask your friends what you're good at. And so I did. And one of my friends said, hey, let's meet and talk about it. And while I was waiting in the parking lot to meet up with him, I just had the intuition to like, let me get out my journal and write on one piece of paper things I'm good at. And on the other piece of paper, I'm going to write what I like to do. And uh, to take a step back at my graduation from law school, I had to give a speech and I gave it on strategic quitting based on an episode of Freakonomics I had heard called The Upside of Quitting, because I thought so many people could benefit from this information, but they're right out of law school and they may be miserable in a law firm in two years and they're going to be afraid to quit. Let me just, if if there's one thing I can pass on at this graduation, here it is. And then that had been picked up and somebody had done a podcast Now you were asked to speak. Were you the valedictorian of your class? I was. Oh man, come on. You're starting to piss me (laughs) off. Okay, go on. (laughs) It was a very small graduating class. You're starting to piss me off. I'm regretting having you on this show. Go on. Matt's kicking me off (laughs) mid-show. That's it. Seriously. She's done. (laughs) Okay, go on. Um... So, by the way, I was barely screaming by a med school if that makes you feel any better. Okay, just, yeah. uh, <laughs> see, she failed. She's not smart. Go. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, at the point that I'm sitting in the car thinking, okay, let's, let's put down what I like to do. What I like to do is public speaking. What I like to do is giving advice. And then I go over to the piece of paper that says what I'm good at. And again, where you're talking about putting pen to paper, things happen. And I put pen to paper and ask myself, what am I good at? And the first thing that came out was quitting. <laughs> I was going to say that as a joke. You're great at quitting. And you're like, no, that's what it was. But that's you, totally you know, what okay. So here's here's what I what I want to kind of get across to everybody bef- before we wrap up, which is this: I, I'm listening to your story, and and people are listening to it as, as right now, and not right now for you and I, yeah, but right, right the right proverbial now. right now, <laughs> and and they're going, wow, you know. Oof, she spent a decade, you know, with med school, preparing for it, going through it. Oof. And then she went to law school after that. It was so much wasted time, so much wasted time. Right. And I firmly believe everything that we do, every single thing that we go through feeds where we are right now. If we look at it that way, if we reframe it, that's kind of the entire point of this podcast. 10,000 no's are actually a yes if you look at them that way. And so, I mean, and and it's so extreme in your situation because, you know, I was going to joke and say, oh, you're really good at quitting. And you're like, yeah, that's what I realized. I'm really good at quitting. I want to teach. I want to speak. Boom. And like whoever thought that there was a... Uh, you know, such a thing as a quitting evangelist, but you created it as far as I know, unless there are other evangelists and maybe you go to a church of quitting evangelists. I don't know. But, but that is the hope that I think if you're listening right now, you know, hopefully you're listening right now, you're on a path that you love, but there's a chance you're listening and you're like, Oof, I'm, I'm like going down a road. I'm not psyched about it. I, I don't know how much more I can kind of like, 
keep pumping myself up to do it. This should be such a a great piece of news for you to hear. I mean, this person went through. I mean, if you go back all the way, I mean, that's you know, you were how how you know you're late thirties when you come to that conclusion. I'm assuming. So yeah. it, it's pretty inc- it's pretty incredible. And and um, what I love is that you. You know, it, it, I'll put all this in the show notes of how people can go to your website and all that. But your website, it's just, it's so professionally done. It's so, um, it's just so real. So it's great to sit down and talk to you and and hear how you got there. Because from the outside, you're like, wow, this is so official and, and, and established and all of this. And to hear how you got there makes it that much cooler to me, at least. You know, because it's like you, you picked up the pieces of all these, you tried all these things on, and then now you teach people how to do what you did, which was to shed skin until you become, you know, or to shed the cocoon until you become the butterfly, whatever the, you know, the metaphor is. Um, I love it. I, I've got, I've got a couple of questions for you if you're, if you're okay yeah. time-wise. And and I was just like secretly clapping very much in the background for the whole because when you went into the like time that you wasted and then you went right into the it's not a waste. Like if you learn anything from time spent in a relationship, time spent in an educational endeavor, then it's not a waste. Even if the thing you learn is that you never want to do it again. Totally. Like, that time is not could, wasted. Could not agree more. And and yeah. Yeah, that that's it. Could not agree more. Um, okay, so complete this sentence. The word no actually means what? Not right for you now. Or in it like you were talking about yes to something else. I love which that. Which I which are not mutually exclusive. Like if this thing is not right for you right, right now, that's going to open up the space for something else to be. Yeah. And not that I want to take us back to the whole interview, but you also had said something about like people, um, you didn't say it now, but I've heard you say it, uh, quitting, it's kind of this false belief that quitting is permanent. Sometimes you can just put something on ice and come back to it, which is kind of what you're saying here. Yeah. And by the way, uh, you have done a massive amount of research. So like, thank you. That is, <laughs> that is really nice that I rarely come on and somebody knows how many, like, oh, oh you, you, yes, you mentioned this and you mentioned this. So I am very honored oh. and, uh, yeah, no, I really appreciate that, but absolutely. I have quit so many things temporarily. You can quit to try out. Like at some point when I was in the startup and working at the VA and I started getting anxiety and all these things, I thought it was the VA. And so I temporarily quit the VA. I said, okay, I'm gonna take a month off, which you can just say, you can call it a month off, but you know, for the purpose of quitting, I'm calling it a temporary quit. And then I realized, oh no, it's the startup that's going wrong. And so I went back to the VA right. and you can all, and that's why the fifth step in strategic quitting is so important. As long as you don't burn bridges and you maintain relationships, it's a lot more likely you'll be able to go back to that other thing, you know, if you want if you to, tell, or if you have to. Yeah. Yeah. If you say, if you say to your employer, Hey, I'm not leaving cause I hate this job and I hate you and I hate everything about it. I'm leaving cause I'm being called to do this entrepreneurial adventure. And then you try the entrepreneurial adventure and it's not for you. You go back and say, Hey, I tried my thing. I'd, I was happier here. Yeah. Then they're probably going to have the door open for you. Yeah. So that quit wasn't permanent. That's a great point. So, okay. What is your go-to mantra when everything falls apart? Do you have one? I do. I do. I have a few depending on what, in what direction they're falling apart. <laughs> if it's like a temporary pain of some sort, then I go to this too shall pass. 
Yeah. Because I have evidence of every pain I've ever had has passed. Um, almost. And if it is in a situation, I'll say this is all happening for a reason. And I know there's the, oh, everything happens for a reason, woo-woo hippies and that. And some people don't believe in that. But for me, almost everything in life I can trace back. And it's a hindsight issue, obviously. You know, you can't see while it's happening. But I've had enough evidence now to realize, like, I'm sure I questioned this, why this is happening at the time. If I look back, clearly there's a path. Like you said, everything has gotten you to this very place. And so if something kind of challenging is happening right now, I'm like, there's a reason. Like a lot of people in my podcast community, they say like, not why is this happening to you? Why is this happening for you? And that's another phrasing of the, I know this is happening for a reason. I may not have to know the reason now, but I just have to trust and not fight the universe and get all anxious and tense about it. This is this is all part of a plan. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And now, last question. If you could give your younger self advice, at what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? I love that. Uh, age that I would intervene. Um, I would intervene at like age three, whenever my consciousness developed, because I think that's the age at which I started worrying about things. And I've, if, I, if I'm sad about anything in my life, it's how much mental energy was, if I'm going to say wasted, wasted, this is an actual waste, wasted on worrying, on things I couldn't control, things I couldn't change. I would love to go back to three-year-old me and be like, uh, every time you worry, tell yourself one of these five things, like maybe, you know, this too shall pass, any of the things I just said, the tools that you're not born with, because you don't wake up as a three-year-old and like have an insta-therapist who's gonna be like, these are the tools you need for life, right? I would love to just go back and be like, here are some tools to help to handle the mental disturbance that will come up when things go awry so that you don't get so worked up over it. I swear to God, so many people say something along those lines. And so everybody listening, just know, like, don't worry. Cause even if you are worried, it's like, but just put the, you know, put the emphasis somewhere else because that's not helping you get to where you want to go. Lynn Marie Morsky, thank you so much for sitting down with us or with me. And, um, and yeah, I just, I, I really appreciate what you've done. I'm going to put everything, as I said, in the show notes so people can benefit from your knowledge and from your company, Quitting by Design. And just thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. I, like I said, you did incredible research and your train of thought with this podcast and, and everything that you've been talking about is so in line with my passion for quitting. So I'm just glad that you and, and this podcast exist. Ah, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad you exist. I, I really, it's like, it's such a great, it is a, a great pairing of, um, missions or thoughts or whatever we want to call it without sounding Absolutely. so important. Right, Mission right. sounds so, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you began this episode wondering why we'd highlight quitting, I'm hoping by now you see quitting in a new light. And that's what my first takeaway is about. Number one, Lynn Marie said, The difference between quitting and giving up is that quitting is when you realize that something is just not in line with your passion, your purpose, and your values, which takes me back to my own tough decision to quit playing lacrosse in college, opening my schedule to allow for something new, which came in the form of a play, which immediately changed the trajectory of my life becoming an actor. Now, only you 
will know your true reasons for quitting. So you have to be super honest with yourself about your motivation to stop something. Number two, Lynn Marie talked about her clients who worry a lot about what other people will think when they quit and reminded us that those other people have never been you. They've never been in your shoes. And besides, they're basically too caught up in their own dilemmas to really be paying that much attention to yours. So don't live your life for others. Live for your own self-respect, whether it's quitting or anything else you're deciding to do. You are the only one who is really stuck with your decision. Got to remember that. Number three, she said, if you learn anything from time spent in a relationship or an educational endeavor, then it's not a waste, even if the thing you learned is that you never want to do it again. This one sums up my approach to my career. And maybe this is easier for an actor to do because every experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly, can be used to draw on for a role down the line. But I think this principle applies to you no matter what you do because it's not the event that's important. It's your reaction to the event. All right. That is it for this week. I hope you're finding nuggets of wisdom in 10,000 no's. And if you are, please spread the word, social media, word of mouth, however you please, so others can benefit from these stories too. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts so that you can get these episodes every week as they're released and encourage others to do the same. And let us know that you're digging it and why on social media or by emailing us at 10,000nos.com. That's one zero 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 nos.com. If you dug Lynn Marie, you may want to check out my past episodes with pro soccer player turned pastor Jesse Bradley, makeover fairy godmother turned CEO of Unplugged Meditation, Susie Yaloff Schwartz, Buffalo Wing restaurateur turned convertible bond salesman turned hedge fund owner, founder CEO Colin McIntosh, or results coach Heather Hayward. All of those links are in the show notes, so you can just click on them if you want to hear one of those episodes. Next week, we have a guest who definitely did not view his wrong turn into prison for seven years as a waste of time. Rob Groupie's story is incredible, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes so you get it or just tune in. And you can always follow me on social media to find out who's next and a ton of other important and not so important facts. That's at Matty Dell on Instagram, at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next Friday.